Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. Hello from Disneyland. Out there in Disneyland. How about that? Yeah, there's a lot of... Um, usually I stay in Fullerton when I come to Southern California and go to the Angels, but uh, I couldn't get in there, and so I'm in the heart of Anaheim, and there's a lot of Mickey stuff in my hotel. Can you see Goofy? Are you looking in the mirror? Oh! <laughs> Thanks for setting that up for us. Yeah, there you go. Also from his lovely abode, uh, David Moore. Hello, David. How are you? I'm doing well, Kevin. Yourself? I'm just doing peachy. Peachy. It's Tuesday as we're taping this, and on Wednesday, I'm going on vacation. Uh, and I'm ready for vacation, I got to tell you. That's great. You will not beat either one of us last week because I went to a UT graduation and had the time of my lives, and David went to go see one of the last Robert Earl King concerts. So good luck to you. Wow, that's ugly for, to, to be that way about that, but I appreciate it. We, I'm very I, jealous of David going to the REK. <laughs> it was quite a show, but I think I also speak for Evan. We're very happy you're going to be leaving, Kevin, for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not underplay that part. Okay, all right. That's enough ugly. Uh, let's uh, let's move on here. Let's talk about these Mavericks uh, who, as we tape this, are on the brink of elimination um, uh, and – I think, you know, the, the question is at this point uh, whether they are able to uh, pull this out at least Tuesday night. Uh, we'll see what goes, what happens. You know, teams that are at an 0-3 deficit in the NBA playoffs uh, are 0 and 146. <laughs> no team, no NBA team has ever come back from down 0-3. Uh, which is pretty remarkable that is the case. You could say that in baseball until the Red Sox did it to the Yankees. There's always going to be a first time. That's exactly right. There's always a first. It kind of makes you think that you you, should have. Are you arguing that this is going to be that time? This ain't going to be it, though. (laughs) This is not going to be that time. No, I don't think so either. I I do feel like, uh, and Brad uh, Townsend wrote this the other other night, and I, I agree with him. I think the Mavs will, which has been pretty indomitable in this uh these playoffs, you know, they, I think you can make the case that the Mavs uh, were facing teams that had more talent in Utah, the Suns and the Warriors. I think that, uh, that, you know, I, am getting a lot of feedback from fans and stuff and saying, well, they need to rethink what they're doing. I, I don't know. They faced more talent in all three of those teams. In all three of those. All levels, three yeah. teams were more talented than the Mavs. I think so. Uh, okay. I think they just had more, better players, more guys uh, that uh, had more individual talent uh, and that were deeper than the Mavericks are. Uh, I think what the Mavericks have and what they have shown is an ability to uh, obviously coalesce around, you know, one of the five best players in the game and Luka Doncic clearly. Uh, But then uh, after that, they have guys who play their roles really well. The coaching staff has done a great job of figuring out matchups and, and the, and, instituting a defense, a team defense element, not just the individuals such as Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock who play great individual defense, but they play great team defense as well. Uh, and I think those things have carried them a long way, along with the three-point shooting, which that's what I want to discuss a little bit with you guys is the is the idea, and, and certainly uh, I, I feel the same way when you see them just chucking balls up, you know, and, and they're not making them and they're not driving. Uh, there are – there are a couple of issues when those complaints have been made, including by Jason Kidd, who has said the same thing that we're doing too much of this. Is that a you only got three guys on the on the in the rotation who can penetrate, handle the ball, create their own shots, and that's of course Luca, Jalen Brunson, and Spencer Dinwiddie. None of the rest of the guys can do anything. You know, they're all spot up shooters. Um, some of them don't shoot at all. Uh, so uh, if those three guys are not penetrating, you, and you never hardly ever have those three guys on the floor at the same time. You've only got two of them on the floor at the same time. Uh, it does limit your offense and what you can do. Um, so is that, is that a flawed concept then David, uh, that if this is what your offense is, or I, I, I have to say, I'm going to go ahead and make my point before I ask you, it seems like to me, it got them to the Western conference finals. It did. But, but to me, this, so often you hear about a three-point shooting team, they, they live or die with a three-point shot, right? And, right? 
And to me, that's too simplistic because let's go back to game two where they're, where they're shooting gave them a 19-point lead. Uh, well, at that point, does that mean you just keep shooting and deal with the consequences? Or does it mean, well, we used our shooting to get a 19-point lead. Now let's manage the game a little bit differently. I, I, I think in the playoffs, you have to play different offensive styles in order to have success and get all the way through. And, and I think the Mavericks are a team that, that aren't built or equipped temperamentally at the moment to play different styles offensively. Uh, you know, they're, they, they're one of the slowest teams as far as getting into the set, uh, then fan it around and usually takes three. Like you say, they only have two or three players who can break down the, the defense and, and get their own shot. But, you know, they're not in, uncommon in that. But I, I think they have to recognize it points at games. And I think what Jason Kidd is saying – well, yeah, it's great. You shoot, you get a 19 point lead, but you know what? Then if you're, then if you take your next three shots and they're all three pointers and you miss them, maybe go to something else until the flow gets back. And then you go back to the three pointer. To me, it's not just you put your foot on the pedal and go constantly. You have to know when to ease off of it. Uh, you have to have game awareness at different points of games and what taking a three in that moment means. And, uh, I, to me, that's what it is, and I think that's a nuanced argument. They they can get to a NBA title game series with the sort of offense they have now if they just have better awareness within games of when to come off of that and do something else. Very quickly, Golden State loves three-pointers, but what else do they do? They have great cuts. Uh, you know, if, And you see them, if they get in a stretch where they're not hitting three-pointers, well – they come back and they'll go to another phase of their offense. I just don't know that the Mavericks have another phase of their offense they feel good about. When you've got, I mean, it's almost a ball control kind of thing. When you've got a big lead, when you build a big lead, you it, it makes some sense to take the higher percentage shots, even if you're not, you know, if you're only increasing in two per point increments as opposed to three point increments. And you go back and you look at the NBA playoffs this year of the 16 teams that advanced to a series. The Mavs had the fewest two-point attempts of any team by, you know, I mean, we're talking about with the other three teams involved by at least five per team. So th there were opportunities there when, okay, we're, we're a little bit cold. We need to stop this run from getting, uh, this opposing run from getting so big. Let's get a couple baskets here to kind of staunch the, the, the bleeding here a little bit. Or when you're up, Let's do something to make sure that the that the margin that these guys have got to come back from is a little bit more um, difficult to ascend. And I, I think that's the problem with when you're taking that many threes because they're not all great percentage threes. Yeah, it's tough though. It's like it's like playing the market, right? When the market's going up and guys go, well, you you know, you don't get out now because you're continuing to go up. You continue to go up. Okay, a little loss, what? But you stay in because you know what. And then suddenly you look up and you go, well, I should have gotten out about, you know, five so days ago. Four hundred one k. I was going to not say. To that, right? not, not that this is a personal reflection <laughs> on anything from from looking at my uh, returns over the last two weeks, but. Um, no, but, but that's it. And that, and that comes with experience, right? That comes with, because there, there is no definitive right or wrong answer, but you have to have, and, and it, and it varies from one game to the next and opponent to the next. And so that's where the experience comes in. And I think, yes, Phoenix had more experience than Dallas and, and you can over, you can overstate what experience means in a series. But I think, I think the Mavericks have just been belted in the face with Golden State's uh, experience in this series. Kevin, I don't know, think about no, no. The, the rebounding thing? That's the thing that, that just stands out so wide to me is, is, the, is how badly they've been out-rebounded. Uh, well, they're playing a small ball lineup, and you know, so the, they're going to get out-rebounded. That's just, that's just the way it is. They don't – you know, and even if they're uh, – you know, if Dwight Powell's on the floor, which he gives you nothing offensively, uh, he's not really giving you a lot in rebounding either. They they just don't have – they're not a good rebounded team. That was that was the thing. When, by giving up Kristaps uh, Porzingis for Spencer Dinwiddie, it gave, you, it gave them another uh, creator and a guy who could break down an offense, uh, and they certainly did need that because they just had two. Uh, and But, you know, you're, you're giving up the rebound in there. You're giving up the rim protector. 
you know, that's that was the those were the two big issues there. And and they certainly do need that. Uh, I, I believe that the, the Mavericks, you know, what they've identified and what's a, what this season has allowed them to do, which I think is very valuable, is the fact that, OK, uh, they they're not they're no longer shopping for that second or third superstar. You know, uh, I, I don't think that they need that. I think what they need is a piece. Uh, I, I give an ex- example, Bobby Portis who uh, signed a $4.5 million deal with the Bucks this year. Well, he averaged nine rebounds a game. I think he averaged close to uh, 18, 19 points a game. Uh, he's going to be a restricted free agent. Obviously, the Bucks can match whatever he gets, uh, but there's a question of about how much the Bucks really want to do that. They're having some contract, uh, some uh, payroll restraints themselves. You know, to me, you get a guy like Bobby Porters. He's a guy who can create his own shot. He's a good rebounder. He plays with a lot of energy. Those are all the things that you want to see uh, in a in a center, and especially for the type of team that the the Mavericks are trying to build here. Um, I just think the issue when we talk about going back to what you you guys were talking about, uh, you're asking these guys to do other things. They're not comfortable doing them. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith is not comfortable going to the rim. Well, if you watch him and he's got the ball and he's dribbling towards the rim, he is not going to try to finish. He is going to pass the ball off. When Reggie Bullock takes a couple steps inside the three-point line, he's not comfortable taking that shot. Maxie Kleber the same way. He he took a couple of them early in the playoffs, and then and, and reporters even asked him about it at that point. Like, wow, this is something you've really added to your arsenal here. And he kind of talked about it, and then he never took another one. He's not taken one since. So these guys are not comfortable getting into the lane. They're not comfortable getting inside the three-point line. Uh, that they, they live outside the three-point line. That's where they are. The question was asked Maxi Kleba just the other day, you know, when they're talking about all these threes, and, and, and he was asked, so what are you going to do if you're open for a three? And he goes, I'm going to let it fly. That, that's just what they do. That, this is what they, that they practice every day. This is what they, they do in games, and this is just who they are. I think that they can live with that, but they're going to have uh, they're going to have to add another player. You know, you, you can't ask guys uh, to do a lot more than what they're they're paid to do, right? They, they're they're playing a really great defense now, and that's part of the issue. Well, and how it, much energy do those guys expend on the defensive end? Well, exactly. And that's, so, that's and because thing. I mean, look at the, the defensive assignments they've had throughout the playoffs, starting in the first round with with Booker in, in Utah. I mean the 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 you know perimeter defenders in the series. I mean Bullock and and uh, Dorian Finney-Smith expended a great amount of energy on defense, and so and they they're three and D guys. Right. But what happens when you expend that much energy? Well, your legs aren't quite there, and I think we're seeing uh, that there's a bit of fatigue on their part as this series has, has gone along. All right, yeah. so I've got a question for both of you as we sit here. Um, I think. When we went into this series, the, the talk was about, you know, what have the Mavericks accomplished? If they get swept or if they lose 4-1, does this change any of what I think both of you guys said last week was that this team is still in a position to address the needs it has to become a championship team for next year? Do you feel any differently at this point in time? I, I don't think, Kevin, I'll start with you because I think you've already made that case. Yeah, I don't, you know, look, whether they win or not, they're, they're going to need to, if, if they get to the finals, they're still going to need to add some things, tweak some things. People are always talking about teams need more talent. Everybody needs more talent. But it's attainable in your mind this time around. The attainable, I, I, I think that, uh, listen, this this Warriors team, which we thought was kind of dropping off a little bit from the from the years when they won, what, three titles in five years? Uh Apparently, it hasn't dropped off that much. And adding Andrew Wiggins really has given them a different element now. Uh, he is, he, you know, that's just the thing that you were, David, you talked about a while ago. Look what the, look what they did. They're, they're a three-point shooting team, no question. That's what their identity is. But Andrew Wiggins stapled, you know, Luka to the, to the rim the other day on that dunk. I mean, that's what they can do. The Mavericks don't really have anybody who can do that kind of thing. You know, uh, they get a wide open one, but they're not going to go into the lane and challenge anybody like that. So well, I that, thought Berton's drive along the baseline the other night was fantastic. You know, I mean, he, he showed quickness and he 
he showed strength going to the hoop, and that was it. One time. See you later. Well, but, that was his only two-point attempt in the postseason. <laughs> yeah. It exactly, was. Exactly. <laughs> well, I, I'll give him this. You know, he's got a little bit of feistiness to him, and so he will do that on occasion. It's kind of surprising. You wouldn't think so, a guy that uh, spends his whole career, you know, shooting threes. He gets them off very quickly, though. I'll give him that. Yeah. But, he, but he's a guy, into the rotation guy. If he's hot, you play him. If not, you get out and someone else is in the rotation that night. You know, to, yeah. to me, uh, no, this doesn't alter what Dallas does going into next season. They just have a clearer picture, I think, of what they need. And everyone knew they need a, needed a rebounder. But remember, you're also throwing Hardaway back into this mix next year, right? But, I mean, the priorities are re-sign Jalen Brunson, Hardaway's back in the mix, now, with those two and Dinwiddie, you can argue there's some repetition there. One of these guys, we can move in a package to get a Porter sort of player or someone who's going to fit that profile better. Uh, it doesn't have to happen in the offseason. It could happen early next season, uh, and they can just pay some luxury tax along the way and see how it works. But uh, I think they're, they're feeling pretty – they're feeling much better, I think, about where they are in the NBA hierarchy – than they did going into this season with all the questions I had to answer. Uh, no my question last, my last word on this is I just want to answer one thing you said, Kevin, about when you talked about uncomfortable, being uncomfortable doing certain things. I still feel like championship clubs get comfortable being, un- being uncomfortable, that they find ways to adjust to the pressures that another team applies to them. And I think that's the adjustability factor the Mavericks are going to have to make internally going forward. Well, they did that on defense this year, so I, I give them all the credit in the world for that. They they created defense out of nothing, uh, basically. So uh, it, it gets to be a question: How much are you going to ask of these guys? They already did that, and like David says, when you're playing defense as much as they are, you you don't really want these guys trying to create their own shots either. That's a lot of energy as well. You don't see thirty point guy guys scoring thirty points a game playing great defense. I mean that you, you can't do both. You can have a guy scoring twenty points a game playing pretty good defense, but thirty points. That's a lot to ask. All right, that's going to take us out of our Mavericks segment. Uh, we're going to switch over now to the Rangers, uh, who, as uh, Evan pointed out, are out on the West Coast. They're playing the Angels now. Uh, they've been playing a little better of late. They kind of had, they kind of sagged a little bit in Houston. Uh, I was down there for a couple of those games. Got to see Martin Perez pitch very well in that game. Uh, I, I'm a believer in Martin Perez. Evan is not. Evan is down on poor Martin Perez, a guy. Why is that, Evan? His- Oh, he hates him. Hates I him. I would never. I don't get him. it. I would never say that I'm down on Martin Perez, but I also feel like ten years in, it's hard for me to buy that that a guy is going to be changed dramatically. I think what Martin Perez is doing is throwing more strikes, and I think that's allowed him to get more balls in play. And maybe these mushy balls that you wrote about, Kevin, are, are leading to a few more ground balls, all of which plays to Martin's strength. But let me just say this. His next start is going to be the 200th of his career. When this season is over, he's going to have had a 10-year major league career. I think the biggest issue I've got with Martin Perez is that the Rangers were unfair to him when he broke into the league. Scott Service, A.J. Preller, uh, the group that ran player development at that point in time set him up as a top half of the rotation starter. That's a huge expectation to put on a 20-year-old at that point. Guy pitches 10 years in the big leagues. He's been a success story. Martin Perez has been a success story. Maybe not the expectations that were set up for him internally, but he's been a success story. Now, the only other issue that I've got is I've just seen Martin have some of these nice runs early in seasons, and it seems like he gets worn down as the year goes on. But that that still remains to be, to be seen this year. What I've seen to this point is a guy who looks – really calm and poised on the mound, who is comfortable with a repertoire that has been, um, that has evolved significantly over the last three years with the addition of the cutter and a guy who's throwing his, his sinker as much as anybody in the big leagues and getting results out of it. I will say this about uh, Martin and, and uh, first of all, he's a left-hander. Uh, you, you have to always couch that, uh, that, that lots of times left-handers are a little slower to develop and they last longer uh, than right-handers do. Um, and I, for the life of me, I cannot remember the name of the lefty who uh, was married to uh, uh, the Notre Dame coach's daughter, wasn't that would be he? Jamie Moyer. Jamie Moyer. I knew that it was Jamie something. All right. 
Jamie Moyer had that kind of career where the longer he pitched, the better he got. Uh, and uh, I, I don't discount that. I don't discount Martin. God love him. You, you talk to him. He's just, he, you know, it's just interesting having a conversation with him. Uh, he, he started talking about somebody who told him something uh, this offseason, and, uh, and he wouldn't tell us who it was. I don't know why he wouldn't want to tell us who it was, but somebody is, is, is really bailed out his career and, and taught him something. And I, you know, and like when he said, uh, the question was asked, I, I asked, what's, what's the difference, Martin? And he said, throwing strikes. I said, well, isn't this something that maybe you would have thought of, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago, throwing strikes. Uh, and, and of course, as the way he explained it was back then, I was just trying to throw the ball hard, trying to throw it past people, not trying to do the things I'm doing now. And then when you talk to uh, Chris Woodward and about all the things that Martinez is doing, he, you know, the way he's locating his pitches, the way he's challenging hitters, you know, and, and Martin does recognize that now, that, that it is hard to hit the baseball. Throw your pitch where you want to throw it. If they make contact, chances are because of the quality of the pitches you're throwing, which have, have always been good quality pitches, the execution hasn't always been good, uh, then – there, he gets a lot of ground balls, as we know. He gets a lot of double plays. You know, that's that's what Martin is at his best is when he's doing that. So I just have a you know, and, and Evan, you pointed out he's had you know, he's had stretches before. Well, the last time he was pitching like this, what happened was he got Tommy John. No, uh, no, he did this in Minnesota the first year he added the cutter. He was really strong the first two months of the year. He did, but I, I will say I think that Martin is also one of those kind of guys who's he's a he is a little delicate. And I'm, uh, I think he likes being here. He likes playing for this club. No and I think there. I think that's a big part, a big factor. Yes, I do too. So anyway, I, I'm not saying that Mark, you know, so look, I guess the question is, and, and you and I have talked about this. Uh, so what do the Rangers do? He's on a one-year deal. Uh, obviously, they're going to wait and see how he does this season. Uh, I would certainly uh, wait until, you know, maybe August. But in August, if he's still pitching this way, I think the Rangers are going to have to go to him and say, hey, how about a three- or four-year deal? How about you know, 12, 13, 14 million a year? What do you think? Well, I think I, th- I think I'm not going to go into dollars because um, I, I, I don't know where the market would be, but I would think yeah, a three-year deal would be would be a potential option, um, especially when you look around and you say, okay, if we can get him at a club-friendly deal for three years, um, especially given the fact that, that the guys who you'd like to see in the minor league system really pushing for opportunities uh, by about this point in time, guys like Alexi and Cole Wynn and, and, and Jake Latz, they're not really off to great starts. Glenn Otto has been a little bit up and down. I think the Rangers like what they see of Glenn Otto, but the point is that they're not. you can't be really assured at this point that all these guys are going to be pushing for major league jobs in 2023 either. So, yeah, I think that fits in it. And I think it goes to this point, Kevin, you know, as the Mavericks kind of wrap up this week in all likelihood, uh, you go into June and July, the Rangers have an opportunity here to kind of recapture uh, the interest of the fan base. There, there will be no real Cowboys stories for two months. Obviously, hockey and basketball are shut down. This is a team that for five years has done nothing but lose. Um, they're going to be in position, I think, on June 1 to be at about 500 baseball. And if they can play well in June and July, when I think the schedule turns a little bit in their favor, they can capture some of that, some of that interest from fans that, that has waned. And I think that becomes a big goal for them, that even if they can't make the playoffs, that what they want to do is capture attention, capture um, some imagination from fans, that they, are, that they are in fact getting better and finish the season out. And in that regard, I think somebody like Perez becomes more valuable to them in their rotation than he does as a potential trade piece for two months. Yeah. I don't, I don't think in my conversation with John Daniels the other day, I don't, I didn't get the impression that they're looking, you know, they obviously done a lot of this right uh, over the last few years, Mike Miner, you know, Lance Lynn, you know, uh, Kyle Gibson, all guys that pitch well, let's get rid of it. I think part of it has to do with the fact that they, they would not do it this time is that a, how much return would you get? B, uh, we expect to be contenders next year. Why would we want to get rid of a guy who might be able to help us? Uh, you want to build point? on all that. Yeah, and, and, you exactly. know, you've got the opportunity now to 
to, to, to put together some momentum. And the last thing you want to do is then if you, if, if you're, if you're pitching well, uh, and playing well, trade the guy who's maybe been your best pitcher in the middle of July. That just kind of sucks the air out of whatever progress you've made with, with the fan base. Yeah, and, with your, and to your point about that, uh, to me, the thing that's going to have to happen if you want the fans to get excited is that the guys you spend all the money on are going to have to start delivering on that. Corey Seager's been pretty good, not great, pretty good. Uh, and and that's I think that's probably good enough considering where we are uh, with the short spring training, with baseball trying to figure out the idiotic thing it has done with the dead baseball uh, and, and the, the idea of trying to kill home runs. I just don't get that. There are a lot of other things that baseball could have done to uh to to help the offenses how does deadening the baseball help i don't i don't get that i don't get i don't get the sense in talking with chris young who has been to the rawlings plant in uh in costa rica and who is you know who is toward this i don't get the sense that there is great concern on his part about the deadening of the baseball um a for two reasons i don't think he quite buys it uh i think that Early in the season, when you were playing in in most parks in really poor conditions, um, and with all these balls having been humidored, uh, it does kind of it creates maybe a mushier ball early in the year that's a little bit, um, uh, but it's more even right throughout the game. It's it, it's not one park becomes a hitter's haven and another park becomes a hitter's nightmare. I think the bigger concern from the Rangers' perspective is if the ball's dead around the league. The ball's dead around the league. You still can't be the deadest of the deads among those offenses. You've got to find a way to score runs, and that's been the disappointment to this point. Um, well, but, but that's also dead. Everybody's dealing with it. That's true, but it's a, as you know, and, and Lord knows, I need somebody in science to explain these things to me. But in doing a little research the other day, one of the guys who's most affected by this might be Marcus Simeon, which might explain the fact that he hasn't hit a home run yet. He set a record for second baseman last year with 45 home runs. Has yet to hit a home run this year, and according to these experts, his launch angle has always been very high. Uh, so if you're hitting a, a very high mushy ball, that ball is not going to go out. And I, I'm assuming that Marcus is trying to adjust to that, knowing that, and that has affected his uh, hitting approach up to this point. I, 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 it'd be hard to break it down, like what percentage is, is affected by what, but I, I think to your point, I think there's certainly some of that. I think also the idea, you know, the Rangers talk about lanes and, and wanting to get the bat out in front, and I think that that's maybe not exactly how Marcus hit throughout his career, and I think he's trying to be a pleaser, and I think he's trying to say, okay, I can do this. Um, to take the next step and, and all that stuff that goes with the contract. And what he's ended up with is a mess of a swing. I, I know that um, when I was watching on TV while you were in Houston, um, there were a couple swings where I, it just looked almost like Elvis used to look, where he was just kind of throwing the bat out there, you mm-hmm. know, just kind of throwing it out there to make contact as opposed to doing what I think he does well and what the Rangers expect him to do well, which is – is drive the ball, and they just like him to get a little bit more out in front of the baseball and catch it a little bit early. Now, there's no question that, that they would help a lot in this whole push about, as you talked about earlier, getting the fans to buy in. And the, uh, the guys that that you spent all the money on started to, to deliver on that. And Marcus Simeon hitting a home run would be really a big step up. Uh, it would be a first step. Be a first step. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, for a guy who hit 45 last year, I, I don't think the home run would be a big step, but it would be a first step. That's for sure. You know, and it, it kind of has overshadowed the fact that Jonah Himes off to an unbelievable start. Uh, you know, at catch, he's, he's one of the best offensive catchers in baseball. He was already one of the best defensive catchers in baseball. It's like the guy's playing like an all star right now. But we can talk Jonah Himes and Eli White and uh, Joe Barlow and and. Brock Burke all we want. To your point, that's not going to get fans excited. Wins and performance of these two guys who are going to be the marketing uh, campaign who are on the cover of the media guide that I've got right here in my hands, if those guys don't get hot, it's just it, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult to grab people's attention. Yeah. And what else does that do if they don't get hot? It undercuts the already low trust in the front office as far as being able to identify the players that will get them out of this cycle. So yeah. it, it, it works across the organization. If, if your top guys that you brought in and paid the money for aren't leading this charge in June and July, 
then you have some, you know, you have some other peripheral issues, as they say, that uh, that's going to cut into that excitement of Ranger fans. Yeah, there's no question about that, David. You're right. They, they, the fans love to, to make fun of John Daniels already, and 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 certainly John deserves his his share of blame. But even you could make the point that well, what about the guys that are playing well? They, they, he brought those guys in too, and but they're not going to be focused on that. They're going to be focused on the fact, that, yeah, but you spent five hundred million on these two guys and what are they doing? And they're going to, you know, and the club is stuck with these guys for a long time. It's a little early to, to make that decision on whether that was a good move or not. All right. Uh, we're going to move on now from our Rangers segment. We've talked about the Mavs and the Rangers, and now we're going to have a little potpourri. Uh, and we're going to have in that, so we're going to talk about the, the Cowboys, the stars and, uh, and the PGA uh, uh, that was last week and coming up this week is the Nelson. So, David, we're going to let you take it away with the Cowboys. I'll start it off here. Yeah, the uh, Cowboys, the 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 next to last phase of the offseason program, uh, organized team activities, uh, begin this week at the Star. Uh, they start today. Media gets uh, access to them one day a week. That will be on Wednesday this week. And the difference at this stage is now the players can run drills under the supervision of the coaches. So there will be competitive drills where you'll have seven on seven and 11 on 11 drills at some point, running some plays, getting some looks uh, more more similar to what you will see in training camp. Uh, no hitting, no pads, but but you are ramping up. And uh, so this will be, you know, this week will be the first chance that the media has had to see uh, the veterans on the practice field this off season. Um, you know, it, really, I think what I'm looking for will be more guys who aren't here anymore and, and, and how they go about replacing that. Uh, Mari Cooper's not going to be here anymore. Uh, Michael Gallup won't be ready for this camp, but you'll see uh, their third round pick and Jalen Tolbert and James Washington, one of only two free agent signings they've made of any significance so far. Um, you know, how that how they'll work the, the receiving rotation there. Uh, Randy Gregory on the other side, defensive end. Uh, you'll get a look at their second round pick, Sam Williams, how he fits into the mix. And their other significant, uh, by their standards, free agent signing of Dante Fowler. Uh, who, who's going to be in that rotation uh, at, at right defensive end. So just getting a, an idea of how they intend to approach those positions of significant losses uh, through free agency in a trade this past offseason uh, to get an idea of how they're going to manage those positions going forward. Otherwise, just, just you know, see uh, they've had good attendance, uh, just – you, you get an idea of guys who have re-sculpted their bodies. Uh, be interested to see a lot of these second-year players. Uh, a lot of them look a lot different coming back in year two than they did in year one. Um, so, so that's basically just kind of a, an umbrella look at uh, you know what you kind of are, are on on notice for this week with the Cowboys. One quick question about the Cowboys, David: Do you expect them to go out and sign anybody else in free agency of note? Well, I think they're still, yeah, I, I still believe that, and that's going to be based a little on what they see in these OTAs and then the uh, uh, the mini camp that's going to come in mid-June, the three-day mini camp. Uh, I, I still see them have, you know, they have some interest in Anthony Barr, a linebacker, because I, I think uh, they want to add a piece there if possible. Uh, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out them signing another veteran receiver based on uh, what they see in the, in these OTAs and where they are and just thinking, okay, let's get a little bit more veteran insurance in here at that position. Anthony Barr would be interesting. All right. We had the PGA last week, which, uh, Dallas's own Will Zalatoris, uh, Fought his way into the playoff, uh, uh, and it kind of had been the, the leader after two rounds. Uh, played very well. You know, he's uh, a great ball striker. Tita Green, uh, he's as good as there is on the tour. Struggles with the putter a little bit. Uh, got himself into the playoff uh, on Sunday, and then lost in three holes to Justin Thomas. Um, but Wills Alatoris is uh, a star on the rise in golf. There's no question about that. They are. We already have two stars, and one of couple of them are his pals of course Jordan Spieth and Scotty Scheffler all three of those guys are going to be in the uh, Colonial this week along with uh, Justin Thomas unless he pulls out he's also in the field Uh, so it's going to be a great field 
for the colonial going forward. You know, I'm always kind of fascinated by these uh, things when uh, we see guys uh, playing at this level from this area and the guys who are friends. It, it reminds me that uh, there have been a lot of great golfers from Dallas and Fort Worth over the years. Texas has always uh, supplied the PGA Tour uh, with a lot of – and the LPGA Tour with a lot of great golfers. But we haven't always had – Great golfers at the top of the of the field and the top of the of the leaderboards uh, from this area at the same time. Of course, the first time we did, did that was uh, with uh, Byron Nelson and Ben Hogan, uh, two guys who had a little bit of a tenuous relationship, uh, but nevertheless were great golfers, uh, the standard bearers actually. And uh, I'm not saying that these guys now are going to rise to that level, but they're certainly at the level. Uh, at the top level of the uh, PGA Tour now. So it would be really fun to see them start to put something together. Scotty Shepard's done that this year. He has a major. Of course, Jordan has majors. Will Zalatoris still looking for his first one. Came awfully close last Still looking, week. but he has he has a remarkable run. He's finished He's finished like in the top 10 in like six, six of the last nine majors he's played, I think. Yeah, so, I mean, a- he keeps putting himself in position. He does. And I, you know, I talked to his, the, the guy that was his coach in high school uh, last year of his story. And, and that was one of the things he said about him is that uh, he just believed in him so much. He says, I'm, I'm certain he's going to be number one in the world at some point because of his ball striking ability. That's the thing. He's constantly, he's not in trouble. He's the antithesis of both uh, Scotty and Jordan, Jordan yeah. who are both scramblers, guys who get themselves in trouble, get themselves out. That's a great thing quality to have right you know uh be able to get to know that i can get myself out of this trouble it's just like phil mickelson made his whole career out of the same way but it's also nice to know that i'm not going to get myself in trouble you know and that's what will zalatoris does he's constantly in the fairway so uh his ability to do that uh of course the, the fact that putting is the weakest part of your game is never a good thing uh but uh, I, do, I do think that if he can work on that a little more, get his putting up to speed, that he can really be uh, terrific for uh, Yeah, and again, this area has always had like – usually had one guy to focus on at a period. Uh, but, but now with these three, it, it really is going to be entertaining, and this could be uh, – you know, they weren't from the Dallas area, but it was kind of when Ben Crenshaw and Tom Kite were kind right. of coming up together, and Texas kind of had that – attachment to them i think north texas now has these three guys and and jordan a guy who's actually done the most so far and is trying to fight back to where he was before uh and has gotten there basically except for the putting yes. which is a big butt yes and jordan you know jordan has done a remarkable job making this comeback i was afraid it's going to be a little bit like justin leonard uh yep. who uh really started out great and then started his career waned at that point he has uh, shown remarkable resiliency, and uh, I'll be interested to see how he does this week at the Colonial. I, I just, I mean, I think that uh, I'm going to oversimplify here, and I think it, it, it's a great notion, you know, that we had great golfers um, at a time when golfers were really kind of the forefront of, of, of sports in America. But it, I, I feel like any kind of rivalry uh, between those three is, is going to ha- has a long way to go until we see Tiger Woods fade off the scene, the interest in golf is always going to be, is Tiger playing on the weekend? Is Tiger healthy? Um, when Tiger and Mickelson were at their peak, that was a rivalry. I don't know that there's been any real rivalries other than some guys sniping at one another. There just haven't been the number of guys going head to head in PGA tournaments over and over again. Um, and, and I don't know that we're going to see that maybe ever again. Maybe not because Tiger, you're talking about the guys, the you know the Babe Ruth of golf, basically. So uh, it is hard to do that. The thing that it, it is provides the Babe Ruth of golf, or is, would Jack Nicklaus be the Babe Ruth? Of golf? Well, Jack Nicklaus probably, but uh, I'm down on Jack these days after his comments recently. But that's that's another point. Hey, I uh, think that would lead us into another segment. It could lead us into another segment. Uh, so, Evan, do you have a segment on uh, on the stars? Hey, the stars got rid of their coach. Yes, they did. Such insight. Um, <laughs> Thank you for that. Listen, I, I honestly, I my my connection with hockey has faded so much in the last couple of years. Um, but I think what's very clear in the changing of the guard here is that this team has to go out and and find a more offensive minded coaching staff. I, I think we're all in agreement on that. And 
there's a couple of interesting names out there. Um, Barry Trotz, obviously, who's, who's won a Stanley Cup, uh, is probably the hottest name on the market right now. Um, I don't know what to think about him. I, uh, I've also seen, uh, is it Peter DeBoers, who was coaching yeah. in Vegas, uh, yeah. who's also available. So there's, there's a couple of high-profile guys that are out there and available, but I think that what's going to have to be sold is who's going to come in here and, and play exciting hockey. Yeah, and if you're the hottest name, is this where you want to go? Is well, this right. the roster you want to deal with? I, I think that you know there's some there's some real star elements here, especially when you get talk about oh, I got a star goalie and he's 23 mm-hmm. years old, Jake Ottinger. So that's really great. Uh, I think it'd be great if they could sign John Klingberg, who's a terrific defenseman. Uh, the, the the problem is is that they they invested a lot of money in Tyler Sagan and uh, and. Uh, Jamie Ben, and so uh, they they don't want to do that again. These guys have not produced like they wanted them to, uh, and they're afraid of those contracts. And so, it, 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 of course, it's always st- striking to me to see the numbers that these guys get. You're, you're saying that you're paying nine million dollars to, to Sagan and Ben each, uh, and that's a lot of money. The Rangers signed three guys this offseason making more money than that. Uh, it just goes to show you the. The, the markets and and what they uh, what they bear, uh, but it just seems a little re- remarkable that you can't uh, you, if you're going to pay a guy nine million dollars. Oh my gosh, we're, we're strapped now. We can't we can't afford to pay this defenseman now because of that. So they're going to have to do uh, a little work here. But I think you're right. They're going to have to get their offense going. They're going to have to make this a little more exciting. And I think it has. I, I have to believe that one of the reasons why that Sagan and Ben have not been as good is because they have been asked to play defense so much, and perhaps uh, this has just worn on them. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what, what a different approach might bring. It's always been defensive-minded, though. All right, uh, Evan has come up with a little concept here that we're going to try, in which we're going to take a couple of things that uh, people said last week, and we're going to talk about those. Uh, and so, number Let's one. It what it is. Stupid what is crap people said last week. Oh, I don't, I don't know if I can say that, though. I think my pastor's listening to this podcast. Well, that's at least one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, so stupid crap that people said last week. I think there are two great examples here. Um, one, I think we're all aware of the Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher uh, blow up over Nick Saban telling his boosters that Texas A&M bought all of its players, uh, which I think was a plea to, from Nick Saban's side to say, here, Alabama boosters, help me pay for some players. But <laughs> my question to both of you is, whose side are you on here? Kevin, Who, who are, whose side are you taking? You know, I, I think the thing about this is, is that, that Jimbo just became so flustered by this whole thing and got so upset about it, and he has, he has talked again about it. He went on a San Antonio TV station just the other day to, to talk about it some more and saying that of, of the 11 early signings, only one of those guys had an NIL deal. And so, no, we're not doing this. What what Jimbo should be saying is that, hey, Nick, thanks. Thanks for, thanks for singling us out because you know what? That means you're afraid of us. If you're, if you're complaining about us and you're singling us out in particular, you're not just talking about a problem in the sport. You're talking about the team that finished in front of you in recruiting, the only team in the country that finished in front of you, according to 247 Sports this year. That's the Texas A&M fight in Aggies. So he should, be, he should be making the most out of this. This is what Barry Switzer would have done. This is what uh, any, any number of coaches would have done. They would have taken – a different approach completely and, and turned it on Nick's head to make Nick look foolish because of it. And he didn't do that. He missed the opportunity. David? Well, I think Nick looks foolish on this, but they both do. And, and again, what was the other element? It wasn't just A&M. It was like, well, I mean, how does that school Dion coach at get the top rated player? I mean, how does that yeah, happen? Right. Well, again, meaning Alabama did not get the top rated player and A&M, what right do they have under college football hierarchy to get a better class than us? So, I mean, it was, again, he was speaking to uh, his, his people uh, and and imploring them in a subtle way. Hey, you got to give me some help here. This dynasty we've built is not going to be around. Peel off the cash, my friend. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I would like, I don't think either one of them look good on this. I mean, I I think this is, and, and the whole phrase, 
no honor among thieves kind of comes to mind as well, I think, during this. It does ratchet up the, the viewability of the October 8th game no between question. A&M Alabama and Tuscaloosa. Can you imagine that before the game? You know, coaches are always out there on the field before the, the game, handshake, right? Yeah, the handshake after, before, after. Oh, somebody somebody asked, this TV station, San Antonio, asked uh, uh, Jimbo, have, would you accept an apology from Nick? Which Nick has kind of sort of apologized, not really. And he says, we're not talking. You know, that's what he said. So it'll be interesting to see if his old boss and him do not get together before that game. Or maybe they do, and maybe they duke it out. That'd be great. Listen, I, I my take on this is there, there are two things here. One, yeah, I think they're both they're both silly. But I love a good coach's spat. There's oh, my gosh. Yeah. Secondly, you know, as somebody said to me on Twitter the other day, it, 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 Jimbo has fit right in at A&M because it feels like at every opportunity that A&M people can say we've been victimized and singled out, they glom onto that. And you're right, Kevin. He should have taken the attitude of, hey, yeah, if you want NIL deals, come to A&M. We got yeah. them, baby. Yeah. He should have said thank you for putting us back in the headlines right now um, when it's you know college baseball season. Thank you for all of that, Nick. Uh, and he didn't. I will take the side, however, of the GOAT, and that is – when it comes to talking trash among coaches, it's still Steve Spurrier. And Steve said, <laughs> Steve said, I don't think Saban told any lies there, so I don't know what Fisher was mad about. Fisher beat him last year, so I guess he can talk. But he hasn't beat much of anybody, but he can beat Saban. They haven't won a division or anything since he's been there. And God loves Steve Spurrier. The man is retired, and he's still got it. He can gig anybody in football as well as there is. So, the old ball coach. Love, yeah. love the evil genius. Ah, so this is the good. only episode of Stupid Talk this week. Okay, what was the other one, Evan? The other one was uh, we had a little dust-up in New York or Chicago, wherever the hell they were playing, uh, between the Yankees and the White Sox after – uh, Josh Donaldson decided that he was going to tell an inside joke to Tim Anderson that apparently Tim Anderson wasn't in on the inside joke by referring to Tim Anderson as Jackie, as in what's up Jackie in relation to Jackie Robinson. Apparently Tim Anderson, for those who aren't aware, had referred to himself as Jackie Ro as the modern day Jackie Robinson in an interview three years ago. And for some reason, Josh Donaldson thought this would be a good way to, I don't know, banter on the bases. What it's ended up with is a benches clearing uh, situation, and Josh Donaldson has been suspended for a game. And I've got, I've got thoughts, but I want to hear what you guys' thoughts are. What, either guy in the wrong or the right here. I will say, look, I know what we know what baseball players like. We, all sports, you know, there's all kinds of stuff with people are, are jacking with each other and saying stuff to each other all the time. You know, uh, just the other day in the in the in the map in game three, uh, Luca makes a shot and does a shimmy. Well, who's he mimicking there? Who's he taking? He's taking a shot at Steph Curry because Steph Curry shimmy, right? And when it asked about it after the game, and Draymond Green said, "Yeah, I got no problem with that. That's just being a competitor, right? That, that's a matter of fact. They like it even better. We like the fact that you're doing that kind of stuff." Uh, baseball has always been a, a little bit different from that standpoint. We don't want to show anybody up. We don't want to say anything uh, to make anybody look bad. You know, no bat flips, no, no celebrating at the plate, none of the, any of this kind of stuff. I, I don't know Josh Donaldson very well, or I don't know Tim Anderson at all. I don't know anything about him at all. Uh, I, I do think it's a little ridiculous that he called himself the modern day Jackie Robinson. Nobody needs to be saying that. You're not Jackie Robinson, pal. You didn't go through all the stuff that Jackie Robinson had to go through. I'm sure you do go through things, but not at the level that Jackie Robinson experienced. Let's let's face it. The guy, the reason they retired the number is because of all the things that he faced and had to deal with and did so well. So let's don't say that. I think that's what Josh Donaldson was saying. I think he was when he called him Jackie. It's like, come on, man, you're not really Jackie Robinson. And I don't have any problem with him saying that. I think that uh, because. People reacted the way they did. Baseball felt like it had to do something, and so now they're suspending this guy for a, a, a game. I, I think it's a little bit ridiculous. I, I don't know, you know, all the context of it, how it was said. We, we, we don't know that. Just the people who were involved know that. I do think, though, that I, I, I kind of see Josh Donaldson's point. David, you got any thoughts? 
Yeah, that's the thing, just real quick. That's where you have to be very careful with your humor today because, one, humor subjective anyway. It's also based on relationships. It's also based on the moment. Uh, and sometimes you say something that you don't necessarily believe and you do it for shock value that would make, that would get a laugh in that moment because everyone's in on the joke. But those outside of it, you would go, whoa, <laughs> what were you saying there? What were you thinking? And so I just, we don't know enough about the context, about their relationship. Uh, what Kevin said makes perfect sense to me, uh, but I don't know enough about their relationship in that setting and what was said in that moment to, to, to whether it was truly offensive or whether it was just making a, a dig. And th those are two different things. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I think you can definitely take some, you can, there is a racial undertone there when you, when you bring up the name of Jackie Robinson. Okay. I, I agree with Kevin. I don't think that Timmy Anderson should have referred to himself in the third person as, as the modern day Jackie Robinson. I think he could have said he's inspired by Jackie Robinson, but the point is that's a three-year-old article. Okay. That's three years ago. <clears throat> Josh Donaldson is an instigator. He tries to get under people's skin he decides he's going to be the police and he's going to use it in the diminutive. Hey, what's up, Jackie? Okay. You don't joke about Jackie Robinson. There's no jokes to be made about Jackie Robinson. And it's clear you're trying to get underneath the guy's skin. So from my perspective, I, I don't know that I would have suspended Josh Donaldson for, for a day for being stupid, but he clearly doesn't understand the gravity of the words. He doesn't understand that he's not liked around the game. And he used the words in, in, in a poor way. Um, but I'm not going to sit here as Tony Larusa did and brand him racist for that comment. I think that's that's a little bit over the top there. I just think that this is another episode of a, a guy just not reading the room and getting himself in trouble. He likes to be controversial, and he's liked to be controversial in Oakland and Toronto and Minnesota and all the other places he's been. He's in New York now. That's a different story. So. Yeah. Uh, maybe he learned a lesson here. We'll see. I, I agree with uh, with David. Uh, you got to be uh, careful who you're making jokes with. Yep. Uh, that's what I always say. Look, with you two guys, I can say whatever I want, right? What the heck? Yeah, we don't listen to you anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> we know you're going to forget whatever we say to you, so it's all good. Uh, that's all right, Irvin. Thanks very much for your comments <laughs> on that. Uh, okay, that's going to do it for our uh, sports podcast today. We covered a lot of ground in this podcast. You got to be you got to be appreciative of that. <laughs> if nothing else, we covered a lot of ground in this podcast. Lots of stuff. So be sure to tune in next week. Uh, uh, we're going to be off a little later in the week because we're we're trying to accommodate the fact that uh, schedules and everything else. But we'll be back uh, on Wednesday, taping another episode for you to enjoy, and we hope that you will be back with us. So until then, we'll see you. Bye.